Pray with me, please. Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. The Bible says it, and I believe it, and that settles it. So I grew up hearing, so I grew up saying, so I grew up thinking. And oh, if only it were that simple. For though all Scripture is indeed God-breathed and useful for teaching and for rebuking and for training in righteousness, as Paul writes to his protege Timothy that it is, still, it is anything but simple and clear and straightforward. For the Bible is riddled with paradoxes and tensions, filled with poetry and literary verse, layered with case law that in places contradicts or supersedes itself. In short, it is anything but a clear-cut constitution or a step-by-step operations manual. And for much of Christian history, we understood this as people of faith. But in the last 100, 150 years or so, we have increasingly lost sight of this fact. We've, many of us, deluded ourselves into thinking that things are indeed much more straightforward and simple than they really are, much more clear-cut and obvious. Thus, the Bible says it, we now propound, and we believe it, and so that settles it. Well, If only. If only. I hope it goes without saying that I love the Bible, that I read it daily, that I believe it to be God's written word to human beings, and that I believe that by daily engaging it, it will lead unerringly to eternal salvation and toward greater humility and Christ-likeness. I hope this goes without saying. So hear not what I have just said as in some way a slight toward the Bible, because I assure you it is not. I revere it. But it is important that we understand that while the Bible is indeed God's written word to human beings, it has been left for us as human beings, guided we trust by the inspiration of Christ's Spirit to interpret the Bible. And here's where things become a little more complicated and the responsibility of interpretation. And as a case in point, I invite you to look no further than our two scripture lessons for today. First, the story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven to consume those in Samaria. And second, the story of Jesus rebuking his disciples for wanting to call down fire from heaven to consume those in Samaria. You do see the tension. So which is it? Which is divinely appropriate? Which of these stories gives us a more exact picture of Creator God? 
which gives us a more precise window into what God is really like. Which one? Christian theologians sometimes refer to Jesus as the human face of God. The human face of God. And I personally find that to be a very helpful phrase for thinking about who Jesus really is. For if Jesus is who Orthodox Christianity has always said that he was, that is, if indeed he really is God become human then it follows that everything we see Jesus say and do is an example of what God is like operating under human conditions. You follow that? Reduced to human form, Jesus is what God is like. If God were human, this is what God would do. The human face of God. Therefore, if we really believe that, if we really believe that Jesus is the human face of God, what God is like operating under human conditions, then we as Christians ought always to remember that Jesus Christ is our lens for better interpreting the Scriptures, not that the Scriptures are our lens for better interpreting Jesus Christ. The human face of God. Okay, with that in mind, let's look at our present dilemma, which is to say at these two scriptures of ours this morning that stand in tension with one another. And the first story, story from the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, the corrupt king Ahaziah, king of the northern kingdom of Israel, whose capital was in Samaria, finds himself in trouble and sends messengers to inquire for help from a foreign god. An unfaithful and ungodly thing for him to do. But when the prophet Elijah hears of this, he rebukes not only King Ahaziah, but the messengers whom Ahaziah sent to do his bidding. According to the text, Elijah, on account of Ahaziah's ungodliness and unfaithfulness, said, Let fire come down from heaven and consume you. And we all just heard it read right there in 2 Kings 1.10, it did. Rained fire all over Samaria. And so, well enough, that's that story. But then let's look at our second scripture lesson for today, which comes to us from Luke chapter 9. Here in this pivotal passage, Jesus has just discerned in his spirit that his convictions, that is, his unbending belief in and advocacy for the kingdom of God, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, will soon cost him his life. He knows this. He stands by this conviction. And that is what the phrase, he set his face to Jerusalem means here. And so here, with his face set to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples to go before him and seek out lodging for them in Samaria, which is on the way. But when the disciples arrive 
to Samaria, the Samaritans, bitter rivals of the Jews, reject this request. Just dismiss it out of hand. A refusal toward which James and John, Jesus' disciples, are quite naturally incensed. And thus, recalling their own scriptures, recalling the very story of Elijah and the Samaritans that we just read, they therefore say to Jesus, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? To which Jesus, according to Luke 9, rebukes them for even asking. Even asking. Do you see the tension? One scripture plain as day in support of fire from heaven coming down and consuming the Samaritans. Another scripture plain as day appalled at the idea of fire from heaven coming down to consume the Samaritans. What are we to do about such tension? In her classic To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee puts a sentence in the mouth of the character Miss Maudie that haunts me as a pastor. Sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man, Miss Maudie tells the young Scout Finch, is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another. Sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another. As a pastor, as someone who reveres the Bible and who has dedicated my entire life to sharing its message with others, I wish I could reject this sentence out of hand and simply call it heresy. But unfortunately, I have to grapple with the reality that I can't reject it because it's true. Sometimes the Bible in the hand of one person is just as destructive for the people in the world around him or her as a whiskey bottle is in the hand of an abusive drunkard. And to kill a mockingbird, Finch is referring to how various verses in the Bible can be and have been used to support racism and bigotry, which sadly they can be, and how those with cruel hearts and mean-minded agendas can wield such scriptures toward hateful ends. But you see, this capacity for destructive use is in no way limited to questions of race. No, if we want to, we can make a biblical case for a God who will rain down fire from heaven on just about anyone we want. For these people, whoever these people in our minds happen to be, are problematic, we can convince ourselves. These people are ungodly. These people are unfaithful. Therefore, these people ought to be anathema. The Bible says it, and we believe it. So that settles it. We all know the logic. Far more dangerous than a whiskey bottle. 
Do you know who the Samaritans are? In the New Testament, the Samaritans are the group who were left behind in Israel in the Old Testament when the majority of Israelites were deported to Babylon. Many of these, not all, but many of these were the poor and seemingly insignificant who were so poor and insignificant that they didn't much matter to the conquering Babylonians. Thus, while the exiles were those who were forced to figure out how to maintain their fidelity to Yahweh in a new context, The Samaritans were those who got left behind in Israel and who thus tried to figure out how they could maintain their fidelity to Yahweh in a context that had now been stripped of all its moorings and history. And for a number of reasons, when close to a century later, the exilic community was finally permitted to return home, they found this other community living and moving and having its being in ways contrary to the habits and practices and mores that they'd now established in Babylon. And thus, a rivalry and a schism was created. For both of these groups felt that they were the pure Jewish race, the ones who were really God's chosen people. And meanwhile, both groups then quite naturally felt that the other group was apostate. It was a civil war of sorts that only compounded with each passing century. An enmity with more historical baggage than any historian could possibly untangle. So that Jesus even asked his disciples to find a place for them to sleep among the Samaritans was no doubt maddening enough to Jesus' disciples. But that they were then rejected by Samaritans in their request, well, this was no doubt infuriating for them. The Samaritans. Yes, if ever there were a time to wield the vindictive, retributive fury of God upon an unfaithful people, now was it, James and John, no doubt, believed. For the Bible clearly says it, Lord, they must have been thinking. And we believe it. So that settles it. Therefore, shall we call down fire from heaven to consume them? What's the point of all this, you may be wondering? Here's the point. We live in a moment when, so far as I can tell, people are more resentful toward and more suspicious of those unlike us than ever, at least in my lifetime. It is a time of division and pessimism and cynicism and paranoia. Change is happening in the world at rates few, if any of us, can fully keep up with. And we therefore, all of us, feel unmoored and disoriented. And in such times of personal and collective insecurity, we are given as human beings to look for who to blame and who to lash out at. And follow me here, in such times, the Bible in the hand of one man can be worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another.
Dear family, now is such a time when we as human beings are given to seeing Samaritans everywhere we look. That is, people who are really our brothers and our sisters. People who deep down are really just like us. But people who, because of their different ways of living or loving or voting or worshiping or you name it, become the very people we tell ourselves are the enemy. The very people we tell ourselves are the ones destroying the world. Which means that at a moment such as this, our theology matters now more than ever. Which means that at a moment such as this, our understanding of biblical interpretation matters now more than ever. For there are scriptures that buttress a belief in an exclusive, vengeful, angry God. A God who gives license to his people to hate and to malign those who fall outside the boundaries of some particular orthodoxy. They're there. But there are also scriptures that buttress the belief in a God of love and gentleness and mercy. A God who wants peace among his creation and who desires goodwill toward all persons. And the point of this sermon, there amid the tension between those paradoxical scriptures looms always the human face of God. The man we call Jesus the Christ. The risen and ascendant Lord. The one whom we as Christians ought always to appeal to when trying to determine which depictions are rooted in the human psyche and which are rooted in the reality of the reality of what Creator God is really like. The human face of God. It is not only okay, but it is necessary to have our own convictions. It is not only okay, but it is necessary to stand up for what we think is righteous and just, godly and faithful. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, and so too are we expected to do as well. But when others disagreed with, or were antagonistic toward, or were altogether disinterested in the way of Jesus, rather than call down fire on them from heaven in the form of vengeance and hatred, he called down fire from heaven on them in the form of the Holy Spirit showering upon those who stood opposed to him love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and self-control every bit as lavishly as he showered it upon those who stood there beside him. This I believe. A day is coming when all manner of things will be reconciled on this earth. And when all warring and brokenness and enmity shall be made right, the Bible says it, and I believe it. And while that by no means settles it, it is firm ground in which to place our hope. But until that glorious day, we have to engage in the difficult work of living peaceably with one another and demonstrating toward one another charity and kindness and generosity and respect. Either we will call down fire from heaven to consume one another as Christians, or we will call down fire from heaven to help us commune with one another as Christians. 
Scripture lends itself to either approach, dear family. But the human face of God points us toward only one. Someday he will return with his kingdom. Until then, with our own faces set toward Jerusalem, let us rebuke those who would license meanness in the gentle name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.